You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to conference coverage highlights from the Practice Fusion Connect User Conference, November 5th, 2010 in San Francisco. I'm your host, John Lynn, founder of EMRandHIPAA.com. This coverage is sponsored in part by Practice Fusion. We heard about the latest and meaningful use in electronic health record incentives, strategies for improving efficiency and cutting costs using technology, and questions to ask when choosing an EHR system. One of the presenters at this all-day conference was Camille Williams, practice manager from ENT Associates of South Atlanta in Georgia. We talked about implementing new technologies in a clinical practice and how these technologies help cut costs. So Camille, tell me about some of the ways that you've cut the costs for physicians in their practices using technology. Probably one of the biggest things we did was implement voice over IP technology instead of using a regular analog phone line. So one of our biggest problems was with the call volume that we had coming into our clinic. Uh We couldn't measure it with an analog phone company. That's AT&T or the last company we had was Paytech. And I went out and I did some research and I found some companies that specialized in small to medium business voice over IP. So that's our phone actually going over data lines over the internet. We were able to upgrade to unlimited number of incoming and outgoing calls. I now get reports where I can see when we have the highest call volume. I know, for instance, that we receive 150 incoming calls a day, which allows me to adjust my staffing accordingly. I know that on Tuesdays and Thursdays, call volume is lower. I know that on Fridays, it spikes. I know how many prescriptions go in. I know how fast my staff responds. And I was able to cut our costs by $24,000 a year because we're using basically a cheaper line to get our calls done. But we're getting a higher quality experience and more flexibility. So some people are concerned about the idea of cloud computing, such as Google Documents, Google Calendar, even the Practice Fusion EHR uses cloud computing. Mm -hmm. What's your opinion of cloud computing? Well, it makes a lot of sense. I think one of the problems that a lot of practices encounter is how to transport information. A lot of doctors' offices have heard horror stories of practice managers or staff people taking charts from one office to another or trying to get work done after hours so they take the information home Mm -hmm. and they get in a car accident and patient charts end up strewn across the (laughs) interstate, which, you know, is a disaster for patient information. It's a disaster for identity theft or the potential for identity theft. Mm -hmm. Doctor's offices are also very vulnerable to identity theft. So when you start talking about cloud computing, I think that's one of the fear factors is, you know, are we opening ourselves up to greater opportunity for identity theft? And because cloud computing is so well established in other industries, you have a greater potential for security than you actually do for vulnerability. And that's one of the harder things. It's kind of counterintuitive. It's like, wait, but it's open to everyone. Yes, it's open to everyone with qualifications, Mm -hmm. as opposed to it's open to anyone who can get into your car or who can break into your office. So you actually see it as more secure than a paper chart because it is encrypted and requires qualification to access. Mm -hmm. And it also protects a doctor's office a little bit better because with a paper chart, say we hire someone and we've vetted them as well as we can, but they managed to hide, you know, that they had federal racketeering charges coming down the pipeline. Well, we fire them as soon as we find out about that. But in the interim, even if it's two weeks, they've had access to all of our patient data. In a clinical practice, in most cases, it's all about the patient. What kind of improvements to patient outcomes have you seen from implementing these technologies? Patients really, really like access. When I tell a patient now, you know, and they're checking out and I say, 
I need to get your email address if you have one so that you have access to your online health record. They light up. They have enjoyed their interaction with the physician. They've enjoyed their interaction from the very beginning. Their first call to our office, they enjoyed it because we had pleasant hold music <laughs> and someone came on the line and was not rushed or hurried, was able to you know, get all of their pertinent information. We were able to get all of their insurance information so there are no surprises when they walked in the door. <laughs> we were able to check online for their eligibility, for their copayment, for their deductible you know, and give them that information ahead of time so when they get to the window, they know what they're paying, hmm. you know, they're able to take care of it, they get in, they see the doctor, they get worked up, they get their prescription, they're going out the door, we ask for their email address and we tell them, you're able to see the results of this visit when you go home. And a lot of times patients are afraid when they're coming into the office. They're mm-hmm. not going to remember the visit very clearly. They're going to remember being scared and then they're going to remember the relief of walking out the door. So being able to access a patient health record makes a big difference. And does that cause a lot of extra work for the doctors or...? There's a learning curve for the doctors. It gets easier with time, with most things. I think that it's important always to rehearse. I mean, like I've talked a lot about the practice that the staff gets, but the physicians also need time to practice and to rehearse with the technology in order to ease themselves into it and to find out how they can use it most effectively. If you can make it easy, then it's an easy go. All right, thank you. Welcome. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, John Lynn, and you're listening to conference coverage highlights from the Practice Fusion Connect User Conference in San Francisco, California. We're talking about EHRs and meaningful use, as well as strategies for boosting efficiency and saving money by using technology. Ken Harrington, practice manager from Washington Endocrine Clinic in Washington, D.C., spoke about practical considerations when choosing an EHR system and also shared some real-life tips on saving time using these technologies. So one of the major concerns doctors have with implementing an EHR in their clinic is that they take longer to document the same visit, and it doesn't really save them any time. What was your experience with using an EHR and saving time or extra time documenting a patient? We clearly knew about those criticisms that exist out there, and we worked really hard to try to make sure that the doctor is spending the majority of his time in the room with the patient rather than in front of a computer. That was Mm -hmm. certainly a concern for us with implementing an EHR system. The system that we had before, unfortunately, took an awful lot of time away from the patient. That has improved quite a bit. When the doctor is in the room, the majority of the time is spent with the patient. It's not spent in front of the computer. Most of the work that the doctor in our clinic does on the EMR in the second stage or in the doctor's phase of it is really done after the patient leaves the room. So what other benefits do you see coming from using an EHR now that you've implemented it? Well, I mean, I think what you hear a lot out there on the blogs, you know, and in magazines is that EHRs will save time and money. You've got to find the right EHR system we discovered. The use of an EHR system in our particular office has enabled us to cut down on staff, to cut back on resources. We're very proud that after a first full year in business, we're still on our second case of paper. We have met other doctors in Washington, D.C. who, you know, run through a case of paper or more a month. That racks up to considerable savings when you talk about the amount of secondary resources, you know, that you have to expend beyond employees. What are some questions that a doctor could ask an EHR vendor to know if it's the right one for them or not? Flexibility, I think, in some of these large EMR systems is key. I think a doctor needs to 
ask about the usability, but also the flexibility of the program. And I know a lot of salespersons for EMR systems are going to probably say that, oh, yes, our software is flexible. I would encourage doctors to really ask how much time is really going to be needed to train staff and to train themselves in order to use it. We have a doctor friend in Washington, D.C. He's a hand surgeon who spent thousands of dollars, much more than us, on a system, found that it was too difficult for him to use and too difficult for his staff, his busy staff, to actually train the rest of the people in their office. They haven't used it at all. (laughs) $25,000 sits in their server in their office, virtually unused, because it is very difficult to use, frankly. Mm. Doctors' offices are already busy, busy places, and doctors need to be able to find an EMR system that's going to be easy to use and flexible. If it's going to take a lot of time programming, if you hear that there are companies that want to send staff out to train your staff and yourself (laughs) for a week or two, I don't know if I would go with them. If it takes a week or two to learn how to use an EMR system, I'm not sure that it's one that I really would like in my office. We don't have the kind of time for that. We don't have the time of money for that kind of training. All right, thank you. Dr. Robert Rowley, Chief Medical Officer of Practice Fusion, guided us through the murky waters of meaningful use and EHR incentives. So Dr. Rowley, give us an idea of what are the most important aspects of meaningful use for doctors to qualify for meaningful use. Meaningful use is an incentive program that kicks into effect beginning next year in 2011. Physicians who are what are called eligible providers need to demonstrate a set of criteria in order to qualify to get this money. There's 25 criteria, 15 of which are mandatory. The other 10, you have to show five of them. And what defines them as an eligible provider? So they're defined by statute, by the Recovery Act, uh, what's called a high-tech section of the Recovery Act. They're physicians for Medicare. It does not qualify PAs, but Medicaid, it does qualify PAs. Uh There are some ancillary providers that also, behavioral health specialties, for instance, other kinds of specialties. There's a list of who qualifies for that. And they are eligible, it's primarily physicians, are eligible to receive meaningful use money. And so you said there's 25 meaningful use objectives. Can you give us a kind of a sample of some of the objectives that you know, they have to meet? There are things like electronic prescribing. There are things like making sure that your medications list is structured, that you have diagnoses in your system, that you have allergies accounted for. Also among them are clinical quality measures, which you have to be able to demonstrate. There's three core measures or three alternate core measures and three of 38 other what are called menu items. So you need to be able to show, for instance, that your diabetic patients have had their glycohemoglobins done in the last year or are Mm -hmm. at certain levels and so forth. So it's a fairly comprehensive list. So, I mean, it sounds like it's, you know, a little bit complicated. 25, there's menu set, there's not. Do you see the meaningful use as something that will drastically change a doctor's workflow? Or is it something that they'll just normally do in the use of an EHR? Many of the things are intrinsic to the use of any EMR like keeping track of your diagnoses and keeping track of your medications. Some of them are going to be new. Some of the things of actively reaching out to patients that might be falling through the cracks and bringing in diabetics that have not had their LDL cholesterols done, for instance. What can uh, different EHR vendors do to help their doctors reach the meaningful use objectives? Well, one of the things that physicians need to be aware of is that to access meaningful use objectives, you have to use a certified EMR. And there's a whole process for vendors to become certified. And where can they find out about the certification? 
So certification is published by CMS. There's what's called a certified health IT products list, or CHPL chapel list, is what they call it. Mm-hmm. And you can look there to see which products are certified and what they're certified for. A physician has to use one of those products to be eligible in the first place. And then you have to show that you're meaningfully using it. So it seems like there's a lot of misinformation out there about these meaningful use and EMR stimulus money. What are some of those common myths and can you dispel them? Well, one of the myths is that the stimulus money is not a rebate from a withhold or anything like that. It is a bonus incentive that is being sent out through CMS, through Medicare and Medicaid, over and above what you're receiving from them to begin with. At least for Medicare, it is not tagged to having to spend it in any particular way. It's just extra money. Okay. It's something that you have to show that you're using a qualified product. What's the timeline that people should be aware of to be able to show meaningful use and actually get paid the stimulus money? Two separate things. One of them is called the payment year, and the payment year is the entire year of 2011. So during 2011, you need to accumulate billings to Medicare Actually, you only have to show $24,000 worth of billings to Medicare to reach your ceiling. Uh-huh. And during a 90-day period during 2011, and it can even be the last 90 days if you want, or any 90 days, uh-huh. you have to show that you're using an EHR in a meaningful way. And when you do that, then you get money that's intended to be delivered as a lump sum payment, probably towards the end of the year. So I've also heard something about meaningful use, stage two versus stage one. Can you give us an idea of what the difference is and when we'll see the second stage? Meaningful use is a series of three stages that will be played out between 2011 and 2015. The first stage is the one that we're facing right now, and that's to try to get physicians just to use the product. It doesn't have to be necessarily connected with anything, but it's just to use the product. Stage two kicks in in 2013, and that's a little bit more robust you have to show some connectivity. Vendors will be able to build those pieces over the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. The other end of the connectivity, the labs and the hospitals and CMS themselves and all immunization registries and all those different places that you need to connect to have to be able to receive the connections. Right uh-huh. now they don't. Sure. So 2013 is establishing connectivity and then stage three in 2015 is showing that doing all of this, in fact, makes sense. It improves patient care and, and outcomes you can demonstrate are, are improved as a result. So meaningful use stage two won't happen for another two years. Correct. Not until 2013. All right. Thank you. You've been listening to conference coverage highlights of the Practice Fusion Connect user conference recorded in San Francisco, California on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, John Lin. This coverage was sponsored in part by Practice Fusion. Please visit our website, reachmd.com, where you can listen to this and other conference coverage programs. You can also download free podcasts to take with you on the go. Thank you for listening.